Hello, all. Welcome to the Ex Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for CTA.com. I'm your host, Artie Kulik. And like I said, Ty is out on the picket line because I'm nothing but terrible management. But so we brought in, I don't want to call you a scab. That's me. I didn't know I was strike breaking. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ty. <laughs> An up and comer to the world today. And uh, that's the the greatest other other host on this side of the Mississippi River. I guess we should say north of the Ohio River. And that's Tina. How are you today, Tina? I'm okay, except why is Ty on strike? Because he's weak. Because <laughs> <laughs> I told him I was going to do a whole show with Chat GPT, and he said, that's it. And so he's striking me. Do you not pay him enough? Uh, pay. What's that mean? Don't you know that we don't you know that we live in Joe Brandon's America? I yep. mean, come on. Content wants to be free. That is right. I thought that was stupid when I was in college. <laughs> no. So the real reason, a variety of things, is I was recently not here. I was with you, not here. Mm-hmm. And while we were not here. On the West Coast, baby. Yeah, yeah which I am not going to talk a lot about it here, obviously, but it was always interesting to me to watch the basketball finals and the games starting at five. Mm-hmm. For some weird reason, our son decided he wanted to watch a hockey game and was getting all annoyed that it didn't start at five. Like they said, it started at 530. I'm like, you're going to be for a rude ass awakening when you get home. Yeah. Because we watched the end last night when Vegas won. And I think it ended like around midnight. I missed like a few days ago when it ended at like 830. Uh-huh. <laughs> so- <laughs> and then, spoiler alert. Yeah. The Roland Garros finals started at 6 a.m. Well, uh, that's the other thing I was going to say is I tend to, especially since we were on different time, I would get up pretty early, but I would get up like 6.30 or 7 or so. But you, you were getting up because once again, with the time change, you were, what was it, 5.45 or something like that? Yeah, I think both finals wound up starting around 6. Obviously going to talk about that. Even the Friday before for the... Match of the century. I was up early. Yeah, so the French Open, which you had to enjoy most of it in the very, very early morning time, which, again, I guess was good. You had the rest of the day open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, No, let's talk about the French Open. Now, I want to go at the very, very top here. Yeah, I can do six. The Australian Open airs Eastern time at 3.30 in the morning. I can't do that. I miss when they used to— Who does that? What? Who does that? Who gets up? Probably some Well, people. I guess I should ask if Djokovic and Alcaraz were playing at 3.30 in the morning and you didn't have to be anywhere the next day, would you get up? I'd consider it. I, I would I would consider it. But Are I you do- considering it less now? But we'll talk about that. No, I'm actually considering it more now. But I do miss when they were trying to cater to the American market and started the finals and in the morning yeah. so that it would be like Friday night, Saturday night here. But that's just me being selfish. It's probably better that they're in prime time in Australia. Like when we talk about you're watching at six in the morning and and here where we live in the eastern time zone, it was nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So it makes a little bit more sense. Three three p.m. in Paris. I mean, I think Wimbledon is roughly the same. Yeah. Takes place around the same time. Wimbledon starts at two, which is also nine a.m. here. Right. And then the uh, the U.S. Open, obviously, we're on the eastern time zone, but they do those at nighttime, don't they? They start at four. Okay. Six o'clock in the morning, that was early ass to get up to watch a tennis match. Well, I, what I was doing, so as not to wake you up, I'd throw my headphones on and I was lying there in bed watching it on my iPad because, especially the match oh. of the century, was only available. By the match of the century, I'm talking about the semifinal between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. Because it was a semifinal, it wasn't on 
network television. I mean, do you want to get in now about what a mess? No, no, the no. We're we're, we're going to talk about that at the end because I have a few things to talk about. I, we always we take the end of these to talk about the state of the sport. And yep. I think the ability for fans to connect with it is at rock bottom. Yeah, I, I agree. So we'll get there. Yeah. The other thing I do want to say quickly though is Marriott. I mean, come on, it's 2023. Everywhere else I've ever been, you can airdrop something. Why the hell could I not airdrop the damn tennis match from an iPad to a TV is beyond me. So do better, Marriott. That's all I got to say about it. Your valet service was nice. Okay. I feel like <laughs> well, we're, la yeah, I feel like we're doing white people problems a podcast <laughs> here. So no, let's talk about it. I can't watch a tennis at my Marriott resort. <laughs> On Lake Tahoe. <laughs> that, that is the most, that may be the most white people problem. Yeah. So let's talk about the French Open here. Okay, I want to talk about Djokovic. I want to go uh, start at the very top here. The guy, not only did he win, but he won his 23rd major title. That Again, we're not talking about him now surpassing Nadal or surpassing Federer. He's tied with Serena. Well, he did surpass Nadal. He did, he did. And and I was thinking today about the comparison to Serena is not quite right, but we can get to that later. But he's got 23 major titles. Yes, 23 major titles, more than any man in history. Yes, and... It's a, it wasn't hard. I mean, I think saying it wasn't hard well, diminishes the effort that has gone into this. We're not going to go back. Like when Nadal beat Federer at Wimbledon that one year, that big five-set match, or even when Federer beat Andy Roddick, even though Andy Roddick— Or even when Djokovic beat Federer yeah, but in 2019. I was going to say, yeah. even with Andy Roddick, who only has one major title, I yeah. think a lot of us our age remember him, though, because he went— lost 15-13 or whatever in the fifth set of Wimbledon. Yeah. is After losing three U.S. Open, or after losing another U.S. Open final and two more Wimbledons to the same guy. My point is there's no match. I think you're walking away from this French Open to look at and say, that's an iconic match for Djokovic, except maybe one, but we'll discuss that here. Yeah. So I, again, I don't want to say it's never easy, but it just, it did not seem... Well, that's what I'm saying. If, if the... On-court effort looks easy. It's because all the off-court preparation was hard. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. I think that's true for any athlete, right? The ones that make it look easy are the ones that put in the time. To stay along with my theme the last month or so, I opened up ChatGPT. And this is more further proof of why ChatGPT is stupid. So in real time, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say, what is the most impressive sports feat for men in history. Okay, so ChatGPT is pretty quick on all this stuff, and I'm going to give you, they give you four, all right? One is Usain Bolt's world records in the uh, 100-meter relays. Another one is Michael Phelps' Olympic medals. Another one is Jesse Owens' 1936 Olympic performance. Number four, Mm -hmm. Roger Federer's Grand Slam titles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really? Man, don't send that to Novak. I think he would be now, upset about that. to be fair, quote-unquote, to the AI that's supposed to replace everything, it does say here, as my knowledge cut off in September 2021, it's saying as of September 2021, these are the four most, or these are four of the most impressive At sports September cases. 2021, all three of them had 20. Yes, that was my point. That's what I, I did. They this were earlier. tied for twenty. Yeah, if memory serves, they were all tied at twenty at that time. 
So I want your thoughts on some of this. I'm going to tell you quickly my thing is, okay, it's not only he won 23. Yeah. He's won, what, 20 of those in the last six, seven years or something? No, not quite. Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, he's won a lot of them. He beat Federer. He beat Nadal. He's beating these next generation he has, of players. He has a winning head-to-head against both of them yeah. also. We Somehow talk- it's fitting that he pulls in front of Rafa on Rafa's court, mm-hmm. the one that has a statue of Rafa mm-hmm. outside. He's got to be the the favorite in Wimbledon. Oh, I would say that it seems like Novak has a list on his wall, a bullet punch list of records that he's trying to knock off. Oh, I'm ahead of Federer for, you know, number of weeks at number one. Check that. Don't got to play the small tournaments and maintain my ranking anymore. <laughs> right. Although I think I think he is number one again. Another one of Federer's records, right? Sampras won sem- seven Wimbledons. Federer won eight. Djokovic has won seven. I think if he if he wins his eighth Wimbledon, it'll just be, you know, showing up Roger again. Hey, you thought it was impressive to win eight? Look, I won eight. I might win nine. On a court that people think is defined by in our ex-millennial man era is defined by Sampras and Federer. He'll have tied Federer probably here within the next month. Amazing. This isn't ChatGPT. This is uh, Wikipedia, but they say right at the top of their entry on the 2023 French Open, this is the first time Nadal has missed the tournament since he debuted in 05. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's. Yeah. I, mean, I think of Nadal, I think of him being injured more so than the other two. But yeah, but this is, I mean, yeah, this is the first time he's missed it since 05. And yeah, it's uh, won 14 of them, obviously. So uh, we'll talk at the end about how many you think Djokovic could actually win. But let's talk about Casper Ruud. Yeah, let's talk about Casper Ruud. So the guy is what he's, uh, I know for a long time here in Ohio, Ohio State kept going to the the college football title game and loss, and they went to a men's basketball title game and loss, and everybody started to call them runner-up you. Casper mm-hmm. Rude, who I think a year ago I'd never heard of the guy. Has now <laughs> played in three of the last five Grand Slam finals. Has he won a set in any of them? I think he mm-hmm. won a couple of sets against Alcaraz, maybe. Yeah, he did. He, mm-hmm. won, he won a set off of Alcaraz at the U.S. Open final. I mean... Last year, Casper Ruud trains at the Rafa Nadal Academy, had posters of Rafa on his wall as a kid, right? And it was his first slam final. He walked out last year and just seemed completely overawed by the occasion, which I understand. Against Alcaraz, played pretty well. Alcaraz can be and often is brilliant. I mean, there is a reason we talk about him and and have a tendency to gush. I will say that Rude acquitted himself admirably this year. He came out. I actually turned on the match a little bit late because I was sleeping in until 6.10 or something like that. And he was up three love when I turned it on in the first set. And that full first set, he played really well. And I even think in the second two sets, he played pretty well. Just... He can't play better than Novak Djokovic, and honestly, I don't think anybody can. I'll say this. Three Grand Slam titles is—or, imp- sorry, three Grand Slam final appearances is impressive. 
Very impressive. Nobody was even talking about Casper Ruud coming into this French Open, which, why not? Yeah, wasn't he in the final last year? He was in the final last year. He was in the U.S. <laughs> Open final last year. Why weren't we talking about him coming in? But everybody was talking about Holger Runa. Everybody was talking about Alcaraz, right? You know who beat Holger Runa? Casper Ruud. Handily. He's a good tennis player, and, and we don't. I don't think anybody gives him enough credit. And like I said, he acquitted himself well this year, and I think this one hurt a lot more than the last year than last year's French Open. Well, it's. I mean, I watched a bit of this match myself. You and I both remember Albert Pujols's height of his power in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and there were just times where you'd hit a home run, you'd be impressed but not surprised. We talk about this idea of being clutch, yeah. and there are certain players, you know, for me with basketball, David Freeze. You know what? The guy can drink for the rest of his life for free off of that hit, and yep. deservedly so. But players who consistently showed it, yeah, like when Jordan had to get a shot, he got the shot. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that I think the day we record this is the anniversary of him making the killer shot in Game Six against uh, against um, Utah. And yes, Utah was in the finals at one time. But don't look up who's on the play on that team. They're all trash. It, it was this idea that you just knew he was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And there, like I said, with pool holes, is just you just knew. I mean, there was just they needed that hit in a big moment. It wasn't you know, everybody's like, well, why didn't he have ten thousand home runs? It was when you needed it. Mm-hmm. It happened. Where when you watch Djokovic, and I think you brought this up in the first set, it went to a tie break. Mm-hmm. And I kind of walked away for a while and I came back and he's up 5-1 in the tie break. It just, when he has to get the points, he's going to get them. Yeah, so so Novak Djokovic, I told you I was thinking about this, the idea of clutchness. I don't think I've ever seen an athlete more clutch than this version of Novak Djokovic, the one that we've seen the last five years. His tiebreak record is unbelievable. I mean, if you look at at the final he played with Federer in 2019, where they went five sets, he won. Federer won his won the two sets that he won, like six two, six three, six four, something like that. Djokovic won all the all three sets that he won in that final in tiebreakers because the guy just doesn't lose tiebreakers. In this French Open, he played six tiebreakers. He won 42 points to his opponent's 13. And in those 55 points he played in those tiebreakers, he made no unforced errors. None. And that whole first set against Casper Ruud, he was looking out of sorts. There was a moment where he fell and had to get up and wipe all the clay off of himself. And he just looked... Because he just lost his footing. He hit a volley once where he just looked totally off balance. And again, this is not a guy that normally does that. Again, he looked just out of sorts. And yet still managed to get himself not only out of a love three hole, but to get himself to a tiebreaker. And he knows that when it gets to that tiebreaker for 10 minutes, he can play better than you, right? He knows that he can just raise his level for 10 minutes. He says that it takes just incredible focus to do it, right? But he knows that he can do it and he does it. And I don't think he can maintain that level of focus necessarily all the way through the match, right? He just knows that when he gets to that tiebreaker, he's not going to make any mistakes. And it's not like he just pushes the ball back in the court and waits for you to make a mistake. That's not what he does. 
but he brings the margins in just the tiniest bit and still plays very aggressively and just backs himself to make the shot. It's it's truly I when we got to uh five all in the third set, I remember thinking, okay, you know, is he just trying to push this to a tiebreaker? Is he gonna win it now? He got to five all in the third set. Rude was serving, and Djokovic decided, I'm just gonna win this right here. And he won four points in a row on Casper Rude's serve at five all. And then went up 40 love and then missed to have three match points and then played a loose point at 40 love and then put it away. He just at five all in the third set, it was like a, he flipped a switch and said, I'm going to win this match right now. And he did because it's again that for 10 minutes, I can play way better than you when it counts. Mm-hmm. It's I've never seen anybody going back to that Federer Wimbledon 2019. Federer was up a break late in that fifth set serving up 40-15. Federer, one of the best servers ever. And Djokovic smoked both of those returns to get back to Deuce and erase those match points. I've never seen anything like it. It's, I, I've never seen anybody with the mental strength that Novak Djokovic has. Well, before we end off this first half, talk a little bit about uh, some of the other men. And, oh, and I was going to say, are we not going to talk about if he's the best ever? Oh, we will. Okay. We will. No, don't worry about that. All right. So what's his name? Um, was it Medvedev had was hot coming in? <laughs> well, mm. Clay Court Med- mm. Medvedev or Claydev, as the internet was calling him. So Medvedev famously hates playing on clay. I think he actually probably doesn't hate it as much as he purports to. I think mm. it's part of his shtick is to play up how much he hates it. But I don't think he genuinely enjoys it. He yells at the umpires about how it's a bad surface. They told him once he was damaging the court and he said that's not possible because the surface stinks anyway. It just goes on and on. And yet somehow out of nowhere had a pretty good clay season and even won Rome, which is the last big tournament before Roland Garros starts. And the thing that happened because he won Rome his ranking went to number two instead of to number three, which pushed Djokovic down to three, which meant that it was going to be possible for Alcaraz and Djokovic to be on the same half of the draw because Alcaraz was number one. And that is what happened. And so all tournament, when the draw came out, everybody was really, really hoping that they both made it to the semifinal. So Medvedev acted as your spoiler to keep that from being a final. And maybe that was a good thing. Yeah, but Medvedev won and out. I, yeah, he uh, he lost in the first round to a Brazilian named Tiago Saboth Wild, or if the internet is to be believed, Tiago Saboth Vuch. Uh, I don't speak Portuguese, so I can't say whether that's how you say it. But but you mentioned him, Alcaraz. Okay, yeah. he does seem to be the player that everybody talks about. You've talked about him, and I understand why people talk about him. And yes, he's won the U.S. Open. Yep. Djokovic was also not, only 20 years old. Djokovic was not allowed in the country for that U.S. Open. So mm-hmm. there was also be, only 20 years old. Yeah. Federer didn't win his first slam till he was 22. Alcaraz did not play in Australia. So on the big stage, and yeah. when I talk about this, I'm talking about the stage that the fans like me, the casual fans watch. This mm-hmm. is there's four big tournaments every year that the fans are going to watch. So this is the first time you see these two. And they meet yeah, they when, hadn't played, I think, since Madrid last year, so over a year. Yeah. So for most people, though, this is going to be their first real experience seeing these two. Yeah. Am I being? Am I saying too much if I say it was a letdown? It was a letdown. I think Carlos Alcaraz would agree with you. That it was the first two sets were amazing. 
The first two sets were amazing. Djokovic won the first set. Alcaraz won the second set. And that second set especially, but really the first two sets, wildly entertaining, really, really lived up to the hype for two sets. And then Alcaraz at one all in the third set, like seemed to come down with like a full body cramp. It's kind of funny. We had been talking about this just the day before that cramping is the one thing that you cannot call the trainer for because the theory is that it's lack of fitness that causes cramping, right? So it's if you twist your ankle, right, you can call the trainer and come have it looked at right then and there. You cannot do that for a cramp. So Alcaraz was about to serve at one all and just couldn't. It was interesting at the time, again, watching this on Tennis Channel, because we'll get to the state of French Open broadcasting. But anyway, it was on Tennis Channel. So Jim Courier was doing the color commentary. And I actually didn't know what would have honestly never seen it happen before, I don't think, where a player is cramping so badly that they are just unable to play until they get medical attention. You can only get medical attention for cramps on changeover which is after every odd game. So since it was one all, he couldn't get medical attention for it until the next until this game was over, which happened to be his service game. And basically the chair umpire told him, well, there's 25 points for the shot clock. You can just run out the clock and default all four for all four of those points and then the changeover comes and that's exactly what he did. I never seen that happen before. And after that, he, I mean, felt bad for the guy. He was just unable, unable to compete. Uh, you know, he did manage to, so he lost that sex, set 6-1. At 5-love in the next set, he did manage to get a game to loosen up enough to actually win one game. But then that was it. And he said later on that, so what, one of the things that Courier was saying, and can I just say how good Jim Courier is as a color commentator? He's really good. One of the things that Courier was saying is that there are two kinds of cramps. There are the kind of cramps you get from dehydration and the kind of cramps that you get from just mental cramps, basically, like you're, from tension. Your body just seizes up. And Alcaraz basically said it was the second kind, that he, he basically had, had, had played those two sets and then realized he was going to have to do this for five sets against Novak Djokovic, who yes, is the best ever. And just, I guess his body just said, hmm. And the weird thing is, I saw Alcaraz play five sets with Yannick Sinner and five sets with Francis Tiafo at the US Open back to back. He's fit enough to do it. I don't think it's a fitness question. Is Djokovic the greatest tennis player to ever live? Yeah. Greatest male tennis player, hands down. No, like. Federer at is somebody's going to talk to me about Rod Laver. I didn't see Rod Laver play, right? But yeah, what in the about modern Lord era, Bucking Smith? I mean, I, Lord Bucking Smith was well before the Open era. So I, was Laver. I think that. we saw his boat along with Lady Wackington's <laughs> boat somewhere yeah. on Lake Tahoe. So was Laver for that matter. Yeah. That Laver played half of his career before the Open era as well. But yes, so Andy Roddick actually said it on Twitter that if you're making an argument against Novak Djokovic, you're not making an argument that is based in numbers. You're making an argument that is based on feeling and emotion. And I'm not saying you can't make that argument. I would probably still prefer to watch 2006 Federer over 
2023. I'd rather watch Steph Curry, but Michael Jordan's better. (laughs) It's just that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. It's that's that's not. That's not an argument for saying that Federer is better than Djokovic. And I also like Jim Edmonds a lot more than Albert Pujols, but come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, like I said, there's. I'd, I'd rather watch Federer, but there's no escape. I, again, every important record Djokovic has. Most weeks at number one, probably going to pass like 400 at this point, which is incredible. He has won all, th- all four slams at least three times. Has won 10 Australian Opens, right? And has won, again, all of them at least three times, which Nadal's won them all two. Federer won them all only once. And the only other person to do it was Agassi, right? So, again, won them all three times, has won all of the Masters 1000 tournaments twice. The only ones he hasn't won at least three times are Monte Carlo and Cincinnati. Cincinnati! That's right. But he's won each of those twice, and then he's won the tour finals several times. I mean, and he has a winning head-to-head against Nadal and Federer. How do you say he's not the best? I don't know what his record was against McEnroe. He has a losing record against Roddick. Oh, (laughs) so there. Andy Roddick, greatest player ever. Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because She talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. All right, Tina, let's talk about the women's side of this. Mm -hmm. And you had, was this her third one, I think? It's her third French Open title and then her fourth major because she won the U.S. Open last year. And I'm going to embarrass every Polish ancestor of mine when I get this all wrong, but it's Iga Suyantek. That's how I say it. Okay. <laughs> I'm also not Polish. Well, I am. You can probably do that thing on Google where they'll yeah, say it. Yeah, I could. Or I, I could. think the WTA bios has players pronouncing their own names. That's yeah, probably I, the best way to go. And I, I'm looking at I'm trying to read it again through Wikipedia. Now, before I go on, because I find this incredibly fascinating, her father is an Olympic rower. He was in the Seoul Olympics, and he had two daughters. Iga is the youngest of the two daughters. Yeah, her sister was in the box when she yeah. won. So do you know what her mother and sister do for a living? No. Her mother's an orthodontist. Okay. Her sister was playing tennis, had injury problems in her teens, so she's a dentist. Oh. 
I just I don't know why. I just that find is that, interesting. <laughs> I just find that in- interesting. And then uh, she, her dad, wanted both the daughters to be in sports, but wanted them to be in individual sports because he felt like they'd have better control over their career. So huh. I, I don't know if he's a crazy dad or something like that. It but doesn't strike me as a no, crazy his, dad. No, say his oldest daughter followed her mother's career. Yeah, so. and she even said so famously she so she won the her first French Open title in 2020 in the pandemic year when they played it in the fall. She was 18 at the time and had just graduated from high school. And she said at the time that she was going to give herself two years to see if she was successful on the tour. And if not, then go to university. And be a dentist. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe she's going to be an orthodontist. <laughs> no. Or a periodontist. Maybe she'll uh, be a periodontist. I say, I, I, I don't know why I find that fascinating. <laughs> I just do. That's not something that you say if your dad is a crazy tennis dad. No, no. So. Now, she went into the tournament number one, I believe. Yep. And she won. Yep. I think you even said at one time she's used to just mowing people down. And So there's a whole meme about Iga's bakery because she tends to throw bagels and breadsticks at people. <laughs> but they, they asked her about it, and she was kind of reticent to talk about it and didn't like because I think she maybe she thought it was disrespectful to her opponents or something like that to kind of – but Iga Shriantek is something that I am not on the tennis court. She many things that I am not on the tennis court, but she is a front runner. When she gets in front, she let, she gets off to a quick start. And uh, she even said once, I have to learn that it's okay if I don't win every game. I don't mean every match, every game. She lost a game in the final. She lost a set. Or a set. Final. I'm sorry. I said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but she came back and i mean it's not she didn't blow her out in the third set but and okay i'm gonna get this completely wrong i feel bad i think i looked this up i think the very first podcast you and i did was for the french open in 2016 Uh uh-huh so it's been seven years yeah and in that podcast talked a lot about how it's serena williams and everyone else yeah and then we talked about you know maybe andy murray can win this one or maybe so and so we're now we're at the point where it's Djokovic and everyone else, whereas the women, I feel like, oh, you've got a lot of different women in there. But when it comes to Suantec, again, this is her, gosh, what did she, you said she won in 20? I think she won. 22 and 23. Yeah. And then won the U.S. Open in between there. I mean, when she won in 20, she she didn't drop a set the whole tournament. Last year, I think she dropped one set. And this year, I think she dropped one set. On clay, there is nobody better. I think last year when we talked about her, I even said something about, or you might have said something about how she is one that's going to win five or more titles, maybe 10 or more. She's going to have a lot of titles in her yeah. moving so forward. So think about this for a minute. She's 22. She is now fourth for women on all time. Well, she's, I won't say she's fourth. She's got three Roland Garros titles. There are only three women who have more Roland Garros titles. Justine Hennon has four, Steffi Graf has six, Chris Everett has seven. That's it. That's rarefied air, mm-hmm. right? On this surface, if you're going to tell me that they're going to put up a statue of Iga next to the statue of Rafa in 10 years' time, I'd think you were being a little premature. Mm. But, but it wouldn't surprise me if you told me. If you came back from the future and told me that, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. But it, you look at it. And it, it was not. I mean, we talk about was it easy for Djokovic? I think the same thing can be said about Sviantek. Was this easy? I mean, in the sense of 
what and, you would classify say as the easy. same thing, right? Yeah. The things that look easy while you're on the court are a result of the hard things that you did before. Now, a few of the other people that were talked about going to this tournament, uh, Sabalenka, Pagula, yeah. Coco Goff, Anjabur, they all did pretty well. I think they all made at least the fourth round. Yeah, it's, I'm looking I at think Sabalenka. made the fourth round. Yes. Goff made the quarters, I think. But they, they played in Sabalenka the second made week. The you know, they, they, Sabalenka had a match point to make the final. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. The name I didn't bring up. It's Carolina Muhova. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so who the hell is this? She's great. Carolina Muhova. <laughs> Carolina Muhova is awesome. She's like if Ash Barty were bigger. Because Ash Barty was 5'6 or so. Muhova is 5'11. And doesn't have that lanky Sharapova kind of build, right? She's solid. <laughs> Which is why I don't think I realized that she was that tall. because. Usually the ones that are tall, like Venus Williams or Sharapova, they have that tall person build to them. No, so Carolina Muhova has been around for a while, and she's always been kind of a giant killer. I think she's always a person that high seeds have seen in the draw and gone, crap. And she's never been seeded that high herself because she has been riddled with injuries. Just, just riddled with injuries. They said that the Czech Tennis Federation. She was a top junior, and they had they had pulled her funding because she went through growth spurt and developed back problems. <laughs> right, but she's when I say she's like bigger Ash Barty, she plays a lot like Barty, where she has a really good all court game, can really disrupt people, throw them outside of their rhythm. She doesn't do it with quite the same flash and playfulness that Shabur does. But I mean, just just rocks out. Speaking of Ash Barty, the first time I really noticed Muhova once was when she was playing Kim Kleisters during Kim Kleisters' brief comeback a few years ago. But the time that I really realized that that wasn't a fluke was when she took down Ash Barty in I think 2021, maybe 2020, one of those years. I think 2021. She took Ash Barty apart in a quarterfinal at the Australian Open and. I mean, Barty just looked like at a loss for what to do. She's very good and she's mentally very tough, which you need. You can you can be you can be Nick Kyrgios and just be a great shot maker, but not be able to hold it together for any length mm. of time, right? And that's not really gonna get you very far. I watched a little bit of her semifinal match with Sabalenka. Because as we were on the West Coast and uh, we, everybody else was getting ready to go out. And I was sitting there watching that match on my phone. And right as we were about to go out, Sabalenka went up 5-2 in the third set, had a match point. I'm thinking, all right, it's been fun. I'm glad for Mohova that she did well. But Sabalenka is going to close this down. I look up the score like 10 minutes later. It's 5-all in the third set. And 10 minutes later, she had won the match. I mean, mental fortitude, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, by all accounts, Sabalenka had a little bit of a collapse, but they were asking Muhova later, what were you thinking at that time? And she said, I knew that as she was going to close out the match, that her level was probably going to dip a little, and I just needed to be ready for that and capitalize on it. And by all accounts, that's exactly what happened. And then in the final, right, it got off to a normal kind of Igor match. So again, before that final, Shriantek had won three slams without dropping a set in the final. Three finals played, six sets won. No sets lost. 
And then she wins the first one here. So she's at seven, seven and oh in Grand Slam final set. And then she was up three love in the second set. So she was up a break in the second set. And Muhova didn't panic, right? She just kept plugging away, raised her level a little bit, brought the margins in a little bit, made a few less unforced errors, got herself back in the match and won that second set. And then got to, I think, three all in the third set. Yeah, I think it was six fours. Um, I yeah, turned it up, but yeah, it was really unfortunate the way it ended because I think they actually got to four all in the third set, if I'm not mistaken. And then Sriantek held serve to go up to five four, and then while serving it out, Mohova maybe felt the pressure a little bit because first Grand Slam final, and given how injury riddled you've been, you know, an unseeded player in the Grand mm-hmm. Slam final, you might think, well, this I, is your shot. Yeah, yeah, and she was playing well enough to win it. Until that last game, unfortunately, match point was a double fault, and well. <laughs> uh, you know, which always always sucks. I was really happy for her that she made it that far. On clay, she even said, and I was kind of thinking this myself, but she said it to the NBC reporter after the match. She said, "Clay's my least favorite surface." She basically seemed to be thinking, "Get me onto the grass. Let mm-hmm. me show what I can do." And hopefully, she manages to well, stay healthy. I think if she stays healthy, she's really going to be a force to be reckoned with. One of the stats that they brought up before the final, which is now I'll rephrase it for after the final. Iga Sriantek is the only top three player that Muhova has ever lost to. Every other time she's come up against somebody ranked one, two, or three, she's beaten. That's what I'm saying. She is one of those players that I think people see her in the draw and go, well, and I do know, I really I think don't want the to play NBC her. reporter I saw was talking to her at the end. And I think she said she's going to be the 12th ranked player in the world. Going into she Wimbledon. would have been in the top. So she was ranked in the 200s in like earlier yeah. this year mm-hmm. and has played so well. Yeah, that she's now ranked 12th. If she had won the title, she would be in the top 10, which is good for everybody that Carolina Mohova is not sitting out there as an unseated player anymore. So I want to finish this whole podcast up talking about a, a few topics. I just want to get your views on them about moving forward. Mm-hmm. One of the big things is live golf. So there's this uh, big idea that the Saudi Arabian crown prince regime or whatever is trying to clean its image up. And so it's moving into sports. And I'm not going to go too far into it. This is probably the most I've ever talked about golf on this podcast or I will ever (laughs) talk about it. But essentially, the Saudis bought in to the PGA. And there's a lot of players, Rory McIlroy being one, that are understandably pissed. And it's uh, we're, we're seeing a point for a global sport like golf, which is the Saudis are trying to get into to make everybody think they're OK, that uh, we're seeing problems. And it's something that I'm going to be looking at in the future a lot. And so the other sport that gets talked a lot about, and as a matter of fact, I was out today listening to Dan Patrick on the radio and they have the men's U.S. or the uh, golf U.S. Open coming up this weekend. They were talking about how the Saudis are trying to get into tennis. Yeah. They've sponsored a couple of exhibitions earlier this year. Do you think this is something all of tennis needs to be worried about? Or do you think since it's a sport that, honestly, I, I mean, we could have a discussion on a, a different way like this, but it seems to be the one global sport where women hold the same marketing weight that men do, if not more. Oh, I, I think they don't quite hold the same marketing weight that the men do. It's a hell of a lot closer than any it's other It's closer sport. than any other sport. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that, Female tennis players have earning potential. If you look at top earning female athletes in terms of endorsements and everything, they're always tennis players. I do think it's something to be concerned about. 
they did host some exhibitions, paid a lot of money for players to come and play those exhibitions. Not officially sanctioned tournaments yet. There are officially sanctioned tournaments other other places in the Middle East. There's one in, I think there's one in Tunisia. I think there's one in, uh, there's big tournament in Dubai, big one in Abu Dhabi, Qatar. But there's never been a sanctioned tournament in Saudi Arabia. It's not just men's tournaments that they play in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. They play women's tournaments. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, they, they women play in Abu Dhabi, right? The, the crown prince is not stupid. Do you think that there would be women playing no. tennis in no. tiny skirts no. No. in Saudi Arabia? I don't think it's going to work for golf. I just think it's something we're talking about now. And it's, Here's the thing, though. The PGA and the LPGA are not as closely no. tied together as the ATP and the WTA. The ATP and the WA, WTA have combined events, and they're getting more combined Yeah, and they don't play the U.S. Open this weekend as the men only. It's not men and women. Yes, you're yeah. right. So, and, and again, they're going more towards combined events. Like the tournament here in Cincinnati used to be just men. I think the tournament in Madrid used to be just men, and they're now 1,000-level tournaments for both women and men. So they're looking to create more. I think they understand that one of the unique selling points of tennis is that you have a men's tournament and a women's tournament that are played at the same time on the same courts, on the same ticket, right? When you buy a ticket for the U.S. Open, you don't buy a ticket to go see the men or to go see the women. You buy a ticket to go see whoever's playing. But I'm going to tell you, the reason I bring this up, though, because I've looked a lot into this for golf, is basically television. And if you, we have talked a lot about this over the years, yeah, just how terrible television has been to tennis. And even to the point that that ESPN is doing green screens for the Australian Open, they're not even going to these events anymore. So it's like, I heard Scott Van Pelt say this, and it really kind of upset me, but I understand what he was saying, is when somebody asked him his opinion, he's like, look, never in my life had I had to make a decision that included nine figures to my income. Yeah, And it's like, oh, well, that's a dumb way to look at it, but it's true. So if you're looking at a sport like tennis and you're looking at an organization like the Saudis who are like, you know, we'll lose money just so people will think we're not evil. Tennis is a great opportunity. Yeah. And I think with the television, I, I think that's part of the reason I bring it up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I still think that now the WTA has gone back to China, which is disappointing and yet understandable, right? They still have payers to play. And they do not have the same deep pockets that the ATP has. They just don't. That's that's why I was saying when you say it's on par with the men, it's not, right? Their prize money may be equal at the slams and at a couple of tournaments, but like the winner for the men in Cincinnati gets like four times what the winner for the women gets. Again, I, I understand. You can all thank Carl Lindner for that. That's a deep cut, people. it's not the only one it's not the only one so again like i said wta after completely pulling out of china when it didn't cost them anything to do so have gone back to china and you know scott simon says the players pushed them to do that and for the players it's their livelihood i understand that i have a little bit of a hard time believing that the wta would get into bed with the saudi regime just how oppressive they are about women's rights. I find it a little disappointing that guys like Taylor Fritz took that paycheck. And I generally, I like Taylor Fritz. And Taylor Fritz is the heir to the May Company fortune. He doesn't 
does he need the money? <laughs> I mean, uh, again, I, it's hard for me to justify a nine-figure financial decision. I guess, <laughs> I guess. But first of all, Taylor Fritz is like 22 years and old. And I'm a podcaster, so I'm right. swimming in money. Come on. Right. <laughs> again, Taylor Fritz is like 22 years old, and his parents are multimillionaires. I, I, I find it kind of hard to swallow that he did that. Maybe he did it because he felt like he needed matches. I don't know. But I find it disappointing. He's, you know, and he's obviously not the only one. I don't know. I do think the thing that will save tennis is the fact that the men's and women's tours are tied so closely together and are looking to be tied more closely together. So there's that. So as we come to a close here, there's a couple of other things. I want a kind of a lightning round because I have some questions for you. But before that, what did I miss? What are some of the stories that people should be more interested in? So you remember a couple of years ago, Novak got DQ'd out of the... Yeah, US he took Open. a ball and shoved it into a line kid's like face and then it was pulled a line judge. A line judge and held him to the ground and beat him. Well, no, but he did hit a ball recklessly in anger without uh, any regard for where know. it was going and hit a line judge that was and still that, BS, that will get I you. think, but whatever. That's I, the rules. I get it. <laughs> well, you say that yet I know what you're about to say. No, because okay. I think it's a different situation. Okay. And All so right. does All everybody right. else. All right. Because other people have David Nalbandian's gotten disqualified. Sitsipas did it last year at Wimbledon, didn't hit anybody. And Kyrgios has one of those, you know, worst person, you know, makes a good point kind of moments where he said that Sitsipas should have been disqualified for that because the only difference between what he did and what Novak did is that it didn't hit anybody. I kind of agree. Miyukato, who was, who's a Japanese doubles player, was playing maybe quarterfinal, maybe. And this was, this was like the big story around the French Open for a couple of days is that she was hitting a ball back to a ball girl, tapped it, not in frustration, not in anger, just hitting it back to a ball girl. Like Federer used to do this all the time. He'd tap a ball back to a ball kid and the kid would catch it and people would applaud, <laughs> right? So Miyukata was doing basically the same thing. Again, no malice, no aggression, no disregard for safety, just tapping the ball back to a ball girl. The ball girl had her head turned at the time and the ball hit her. Originally, I mean, I heard she spent like five days in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, the umpire just gave Kato a warning. Be more careful next time. Okay, fine, whatever. And then their opponents, who was uh, Buzkova and Tormo, I think, started lobbying for the tournament referee to come out and disqualify them. And that's what happened. And they were losing, which seems like kind of a, I mean, if you're winning handily and you do that, Whatever, but if you're losing and you just so anyway, the the whole tennis world, like commentators, everybody was up in arms because people were like, "This is not the same thing as what happened to Djokovic." But when you get disqualified, right, you lose your ranking points for the tournament, you lose your prize money for the tournament. Which for Novak, prize money and even ranking points are incidental to him. But for somebody who's a double specialist, I think they said her prize money to date was 150 grand, which when you're paying for your coaches and your travel out of pocket, that's not that much money. <laughs> so, you know, they probably took a pretty good chunk out of her paycheck by doing that. So she has appealed. I'm glad there is an appeals process. She has appealed. But not only has she appealed and that appeal is pending, she won the mixed doubles. Good for her. Wimbledon. Djokovic is going to win. Yeah. Who's he going to beat? Ooh. I'm not even going to do this. Who could win? Who's he going to beat? Who's he going to beat? Well, I mean, it depends on the draw. Medvedev usually plays pretty well on grass. Casper Al- Ruud? 
I don't know the Casper is a grass guy. <laughs> I think it is going to be him because he's going to have an entire eight-piece dinner set from all the second-place plates he's winning. <laughs> so you know who else lost his first three slam finals? And- did I did. Andy Murray. Oh, okay. okay. Andy Murray. Who? No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, just throw that out there for a second. The only other person in the draw that will be in the draw that has won Wimbledon before, by the way, is Sir Andrew Murray. All right. Right, so we're on the Murray wagon. <laughs> so <laughs> greatest story ever. It would be. I mean, it really would be, especially since he beat Djokovic the first time he won Wimbledon. <laughs> oh, so a per- player that I thought was retired has now is playing a couple of tournaments in the lead up to Wimbledon. Wimbledon finalist Milos Raonic, who is the other person that Andy Murray beat to win his second Wimbledon title. So Medvedev likes the faster surfaces. Let's see. I think Sinner can probably play on grass. Who else? Fr- uh, Fritz played very well last year. Very, very well at Wimbledon last year, except he couldn't He couldn't beat injured Rafa Nadal, who then pulled out, which, again, shows you how good these guys really are, that even when they're injured... <laughs> oh, we're going to do a separate podcast um, just about them one day. Trust me. Let's see. Who else? Who else? I'm I'm missing somebody, you know, maybe Alcaraz. Holgaruna, I have no idea if he can play on grass because he only just came to my attention basically last year. Well, what um, about the women? I mean, Sviantek's going to be the number one seed, but last she year she was out in the third round. Is, but I think she doesn't have her grass legs yeah. quite yet, although she is playing a warm-up tournament. So and you had Jabir who lost match. it last year. She is, lost in the was final in last the, year and was 13. in the semis this year, I think, of the French Open. I think she made the quarters. Or quarters. Yeah, uh, Jabir loves playing on grass. I mean, he's a very good grass court player and was close to winning the title last year. You know, you have last year's champion, Elena Rubakina, who sadly got injured in this tournament, but I think she's probably okay. Who else? Venus is gonna play. Then I'm Venus and Andy Murray. That's who I'm pulling for. <laughs> that would really be something, <laughs> wouldn't it? I, I don't know that Venus is going to win, but I'll back her to win the first round. Hey, good enough. And look, all you people that are complaining, I remember maybe 10 years ago when Martina Navratilova played. Oh, 20 years ago. Okay. 25. No, it wasn't that. She was like 50. She's not 70 now. Maybe she? 15 years. It was like the mid-aughts. Oh, okay. But when she went and everybody was like, Ugh, and she won a match. I mean, come on, get over it. Venus deserves it. Oh, yeah. Be- Venus is better than you all cha- remember. Five-time Wimbledon champion. Well, and seven-time, didn't she win seven? Seven major champions, yeah, five like, of them Wimbledon. Be impressed, I know. Yes. So, so again, Venus, God, who else is going to be there who's going to, you know. I mean, I'm looking at I last think, year. I think Sabalenka, Sabalenka's allowed into the country. So yeah. She can play. She just confirmed on the Twitter machine that she got her visa. Let's see. Sabalenka, Rebecca, Jabir, Muhova, if she's healthy, mm-hmm. I think could do some damn. Again, she plays her least favorite surface. Mm-hmm. Who else is in the top 10? Who I'm else just is looking at last 20? year's. I'm just seeing Jabir, Bedosa. Not Bedosa, although she's busy making kissy faces with Stefano Sitsipas on Instagram. It's kind of vomit-inducing. Last year was kind of a murderer's row. They all lost Ooh, early on. Danielle Collins would be great. But I would love for Danielle Collins to do well, but I don't know that she will. Goff can play on grass. Goff can play on grass. Jill Teichman, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, let's... Kvitova's uh, won yeah. twice. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that was... The second title she won was 10 years ago, but she has won it twice, so she can play. What was uh, a story walking away from the French Open that you enjoyed? 
a good story that not a lot of people know about, but maybe yeah, shows so, you the, the world of tennis. You know, I mentioned a minute ago that Paolo Bedosa and Stefano Tsitsipas are now having vomit-inducing PDA on Instagram. People should see the stuff I and, send you. And calling themselves Sitsi Dosa. It's stupid. I'm not going to say that again. Everybody's favorite tennis couple, Gem's Life, Gael Monfils and Alina Svitolina, who got together, broke up, got back together, got married. Gael Monfils wore the greatest lavender tux known to man. And they had a baby who's like five months old now. And Svitolina made her comeback in the lead up to this tournament and made, I want to say, the fourth round and play was playing she was in the top 10, maybe in the top five at one point, and was playing that well again, maybe even better. I I mean, she was playing really, really well. I was glad to see her back. She's also Ukrainian. The Ukrainian players have been not shaking hands with Belarusian and Russian players. As they should not be. Yeah. So they have, they have not been. Even Daria Kazakina, who has been very outspoken against the war, so outspoken that she can't go back to Russia. Also, she came out which is another reason she can't go back to Russia. Anyway, but Kazakina still plays under the Russian flag. And when Svitolina beat her, Kazakina didn't even go for a handshake. She just went to her bag and gave Svitolina a thumbs up, basically saying, I'm not going to shake my hand. I get it. It's fine. You know. Now, Sabalenka, on the other hand, when she beat Svitolina, waited at the net for a handshake. That's not classy, right? It's not. And the French crowd booed Svitolina for that. Which I'm like, she's married to Gael Monfils. She's been playing great. She's pra- she lives in France. She's practically one of you. You're going to boo her for that? I mean, what the hell is wrong with you people? But anyway, I thought it was a great story. You know, Monfils is always fun to watch. He did pull out of the tournament after he won uh, his first round match. But she played great, and it was great to see her back on tour again. All right. Last question. We're going to mark it. Mid-June yeah. 2023. Yeah. How many titles is Novak Djokovic going to win? Oh, God. I'm looking at his second bite at the apple for the calendar slam, which most people don't even get one, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because I don't see who's going to stop him at Wimbledon. And then the U.S. Open is always more of a wild card kind of turn. It's the end of the season. Everybody's banged up. Everybody's tired. But it's not an Olympic year. And I think part of what did him in last year was going to that Tokyo Olympics where it was 8 billion degrees and he was crabby and throwing his racket into the crowd. And I mean, just just having a meltdown in Tokyo. And I think it just emotionally and physically took it out of him. Because as you say, father time is undefeated. Mm-hmm. He is still 36, mm-hmm. right? The re- One of the reasons he plays better in these slams is because he gets a day off. Yeah. <laughs> right? Body gets to recover a little bit. I'm going to say it right now. I think he's going to win the calendar slam this year. So that's 25. And I think both he and Nadal are looking at next year's Olympics, which is in Paris, will be played at Roland Garros. And Djokovic doesn't have an Olympic gold medal. And I think he wants one. And I think Rafa wants to come play on his playground again. And if he wants to play the Olympics next year, it probably means he's going to play Australia next year. 26, that's 26. I'm going to say 27 will be his final total. One thing I did want to say about Djokovic, and I have a lot of criticism for Novak Djokovic. I have criticized him that's, a lot for a lot the, of things over the years. This podcast isn't the place for that, but yes, yeah. So having said that, I am actually kind of filled with admiration for him right now 
because at one point in 2008, 2009, he had one slam and Federer had 16. And he climbed and climbed and climbed and he set his sights on a goal. Not just Federer, but Nadal hunted both of them down with a single-minded focus Mm -hmm. and took the lead. It is such a remarkable. And I didn't even know I was going to feel this way before the tournament. Because I remember before the tournament, you asked me who was going to win. And I said, depends on if Djokovic's elbow is bothering him. If if it is, then Alcaraz is going to win. If not, Djokovic is going to win. And I saw Djokovic play a set in his first round match. And I think I told you right then, mm-hmm. Djokovic is going to win this tournament. And I just took it so much for granted. And the more time that's passed since I've, it's been, what, three days now since that happened, three, four days. I'm actually kind of overawed by it more as time goes on. At Not that he won this tournament, but at the last 15 years, what he's done. Mm-hmm. To just look at somebody and instead of being deflated and thinking I'm never going to be as good as Federer, as saying, I can do that and more, watch me. Incredible. It's incredible. Well, I don't think he's going to win another one because I think Brood and Alcaraz and Medvedev, they're uh, going to get Todd Martin and Andy Murray to take Djokovic to a soccer match. And he's going to get involved in the big brawl and be hurt. And then at the U.S. Open, all the all the line judges are going to throw Todd him in the back. Todd Martin and Andy Murray? <laughs> Wasn't Todd Martin a British player? No, he's American. Oh, okay. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> Tim Henman? Tim Henman. That's it. <laughs> Todd Martin can come. I don't know. I just think he's, you know, why not? And then at the U.S. Open, all the line judges are going to throw him in the car and drop him off in Nutley, New Jersey. And he's not going to know how to get back. And then Rafael Nadal in his comeback year is going to merge with with Roger Federer as some weird Voltron combination and just take everybody out. And that's it. That's my dream. That's Is that your dream or is that your prediction? <laughs> no, that's my prediction. That's what I see. So he's never going to win another one again because that's what happens. We're going to see each other in a few weeks here because that's how quick the turnaround is. Four weeks time. <laughs> you know, God save the, the king. I think five weeks time. Yeah. Yeah. God save the king or whatever. I said last question, but this is it. Do you feel good about where tennis is? Is it still engaging to watch? When you can watch it. (laughs) No, ESPN will be broadcasting Wimbledon. And I like when ESPN has has the majors because I have ESPN Plus, which means I can watch any any court I want and not have to listen to John McEnroe. Shout out to ESPN Plus. So, all right. Well, if people need to find you, where are they going to find you? They can find me at Tina Seedsing on Twitter. I think I've made some negotiations and some breakthrough. I think Ty's going to be back next week. So uh, you guys can look forward to that. Stay strong, Ty. (laughs) Management always wins. God, it breaks my heart in pieces talking about that. I think I spent an entire week telling your sister how we need to kill capitalists. And now (laughs) I think like the Robert Barrett. So anyways, um, with all that being said, I thank you guys for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Remember, we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And uh, with that, thank you again, Tina. And uh, on to, is it in London or is it in like some weird ass suburb? No, it's in London. Okay. The all same right. way the U.S. Open is in New York and Roland Garros Well, like ESPN, I'll have a green screen. To not like the cool. Cincinnati tournament is no. not in Cincinnati. No, 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 it's not. So I'll have a green screen to make everybody think we're in London. Fancy. Yep. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. 
The X Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSane.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik and Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.